Children's Church with Miss Steph and Miss Mara. And uh, following the service, parents, grandparents, guardians, uh, remember to pick your children up downstairs in the fellowship hall. So this morning, we are going to start a short series um, entitled Good Grief. Now, when I think of good grief, I think of Charlie Brown. Whenever anything would go wrong in Charlie Brown's life, he would always say what? Good grief. And even those of his friends who were near to him, whenever something would go wrong, good grief, Charlie Brown. It was always that refrain that seemed to follow poor little Charlie Brown. Today, as we begin this short series on grief, we're looking at the topic of grief and this idea of good grief because grief, when it is done well, can actually be a good thing. Grief, when we grieve well, can actually be a good thing. So this morning, we start this short series on grieving Good grief with the topic grieving well. There are sermon notes in your bulletin. You can follow along with things that will be on the screen. But I'm reminded as I begin this series of a dear woman that was, I really looked up to. Um, her kids were right amount around my age. Um, and so she was always one, she and her husband and I would look to as an example of what it meant to follow after Jesus. And she uh, had the the sadness of her father, who she loved so much, pass away suddenly. And as she was grieving that, she was just really distraught, uh, really downcast. She was really having a hard time working through her grief. And one day as she was doing that, she called out to God in prayer, Oh God, why does this have to hurt so bad? Why does this have to hurt so bad? And in the midst of her crying out to God, God answered her clearly and said, it hurts so bad because it was never meant to be this way. It hurts so bad because it was never meant to be this way. What did God mean by that? He meant that we were never meant to taste death. Human beings were not created to taste death. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned in the Garden of Eden, death came into this world. The perfection of God's creation became broken because of sin, because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And so something that was never intended to be now becomes a human reality that we face death, that we face loss, that we face grieving because of this. Even though it was not ever meant to be this way, it has now become a reality of this broken creation that we live in, that one day God will fix and put back together with perfection. But until then, we deal with loss. We deal with grieving. Whether it's the passing of a loved one whether it's the loss of a job, whether it's the death of a pet, whether it's the loss of a friendship, 
whether it's a dream or an expectation of what we thought life was going to look like, but as we're journeying through life, it just hasn't panned out that way. It's a loss. Or even for all of us, two years ago, life was normal. If we can all ever remember what that was like. But these last two years with COVID and with this pandemic, there has been a tremendous amount of loss. Life is just not like it was before. The point is that all of us experience loss. Some of us as a church family and and it becomes more and more personal, some of us, we're really experiencing that, that loss right now. Others, if you're not experiencing it's going to come at some point. And so in the midst of loss, in the midst of grief, we want to try to look at this question of how do we grieve well? How do we grieve well? In these two psalms that seem to be one psalm that's been divided into two, Psalm 42 and 43, there is a refrain that happens three times. It's in verse 5, verse 11, and then in chapter 43, verse 5. You may have caught it as I read those. It's the same refrain three times. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Think of it as the chorus to this, that we, every song has a chorus that you come back to. You have the verses, and then you have the chorus, and then the verse, and the chorus. Think of this as the chorus of this song. And it gives us two things. It gives us what our first point will be. And that is, the first point is, to be willing to sit with our loss. It gives us why we need to do that. This, these, this refrain gives us the why we need to do that. Why do we need to sit with our loss? And it also gives us a second part of what grieving well will take and what grieving well will produce. So as we kind of think through and work through, that's where we're going. The first part of the message is why we need to sit with our loss. And the second is what grieving well will take and what the hopeful production of it, the fruit will be at the end. So let's start there with being willing to sit with our loss. And as we look at this, there's two reasons that we'll look at what loss is like and why we need to be willing to sit with it. And in it, there are reasons why we don't want to and why we need to. We need to sit with our loss. But if we're honest, whenever there's loss in our lives, it's the last thing we want to do, right? The last thing we want to do is actually sit with our loss and embrace it and feel it. And here's why. Because loss is crushing. Loss is crushing. In chapter 42, or in Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1 again, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I, when can I go and meet with God? We don't exactly know who wrote this psalm, but scholars believe it was one of two people. One is either King David who in the midst of his son Absalom revolting and usurping the throne from his father, 
And David is on the run. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's leaving his role of king as his son comes and and takes his role, casting him out. That's one, and, and most people believe it was David. The other possibility is there was a time in Israel's history, in the nation of Israel, where God had continued to warn them, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You've been sinning. You haven't been faithful to me. And if you don't, punishment is going to come because I love you that much. I need to bring you back into obedience and into relationship. And they didn't listen. And the Babylonian empire under King Nebuchadnezzar took them away from Jerusalem to the city of Babylon. Many died. Some stayed back, but the majority of them either died or were taken off. And so some people believe that it was one of those who were taken from Jerusalem off to Babylon. Either way, the writer experiences a loss. And the loss that this writer experiences is the loss of being able to meet with God in the temple. We see that there is this deep thirst for God. He relates it to a deer who's thirsting, who's panting for streams of water, saying in the same way that a deer out in the wilderness, and there is no water, in the same way that a deer just pants after, just thirsty. So my soul is thirsty for you, God. So much so that he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when can I go and meet with God? The loss that either David or this captive was experiencing was the loss of going to the temple where God's presence rested where his people would come to worship him, where his people would come to offer sacrifices to him, where his people would come to meet with God. It was where the glory of God, the manifest presence of God rested. And he longed to go back, off, on the run, taken away. He longed to go back. His, His soul is thirsting for God. No matter what our loss is, there's a longing to return to what used to be. It's a longing to return to what used to be. Ultimately, I think we'll see at the end that this longing represents something that's even bigger than what used to be. It's a longing for God that's there. So loss is crushing because it was a loss of what used to be for this writer. Verse three, loss is crushing. We see my tears have been my food day and night. Instead of food, tears have become his food. When we're in times of grief, the body is usually not physically hungry. There is just tears become the thing that's almost like substitutes for food because our appetite goes down when grief rises. It's also kind of ironic that it's in those times of grief that the most food is around, isn't it? Because in those times of deep grief, especially in the loss of a loved one, People are like, oh, what can I get you? What can I bring? And, you know, food is brought and food is brought and food is brought and food is brought. And you're thinking, I don't want food right now. Thank you, but I don't want food. It's all the people who are coming around to to comfort you that they end up eating the food. And people are saying, you just need to eat something. Have you heard that in those times? I know you don't want to eat, but you just need to eat something. Because the crushing of the loss for the psalmist is it's not food that he is eating. It's tears that have become his food. Memories then become bittersweet. 
Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the... Or, excuse me, I read Psalm 40. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. My soul, verse 6, is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Miser. Loss is crushing, and memories become bittersweet. He remembers the times of going to the temple to worship God, of leading the festive throng, of leading people to go and to meet with God. There's joy, there's thanksgiving, there's people going with him. He's leading it, he's remembering it. The heights of Hermon, Mount Mizar, was a, a smaller mountain, and as he is there at this smaller mountain, it is reminding him of the larger mountain at Jerusalem where the temple was. It was a memory that triggered for him. Memories and remembering those good memories are healing to the soul. But they can also remind a person that they're not going to happen again. And so memories become bittersweet. I know when I've lost loved ones, it can go from laughing and remembering and celebrating to in a moment becoming somber because you realize that's not going to happen again. The reminders, memories, and so it's crushing. Verses 7 through 10, he says, Deep calls to deep and the roar of the waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. There is this idea that grief just comes in waves. It batters the soul. It makes even his body and his bones suffer this physical mortal agony. Now, none of this is fun, is it? This description of loss and grief that comes is crushing to him. Not only is loss crushing, but it's also confusing. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? He confesses that God is his rock. He's always known God this way, but now he wonders out loud, Why, God, have you forgotten me? He questions why he has to continue mourning while his enemy is coming and oppressing him and mocking him and asking these questions. Where is your God in all of this? So not only does he doubt it, but he has other people coming around him and said, where's your God in all of this? And he wonders again why God hasn't vindicated him, why God hasn't rescued him, why it feels like God has rejected him. Loss has a way of causing us To doubt. To doubt what we know and believe about God. I was reading this morning in the book of Luke, John the Baptist, who was one of the great men of God. He was the one who baptized many people in the Jordan River, turning an entire nation back to God, preparing them for Jesus' arrival. And when Jesus came... 
he saw Jesus and he said, look, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River to fulfill the law and to fulfill all of righteousness. And as he does that, a voice from heaven, the voice of God speaks over Jesus. This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. And a dove comes down from heaven who is the Holy Spirit and rests on Jesus. I mean, this had to be like for John the Baptist, the greatest event of his entire life. This is what he lived for. This is his mission on earth was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And in the midst of preparing it, he actually sees it and has this incredible encounter with God. A little while later, he's been imprisoned because the religious people didn't really like his message that what they were doing was wrong. And he was thrown into prison knowing that most likely he was not going to get out of prison, that he was going to die, which he eventually did in prison. But in the midst of all of this, he call, has his followers go get Jesus' disciples, and they come and they go and they, they go to Jesus' disciples and they go to Jesus and he says, John's got a message from prison for you. Are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one? Now think about this. This is like Jesus says, there is no one greater among women or that have been born of women except John the Baptist. This is like the guy. This is most likely David writing in Psalm 42 and 43, and he's going, God, why have you rejected me? Why have you abandoned me? God, why aren't you fixing this? What, what's going on? You're my rock, you're my fortress, but it doesn't seem like it right now. If these guys, if these people can get to the place where they go, I don't get what's going on. God, I don't understand what you're doing. This doesn't seem right. And here's the hopeful message in this. Is that we can give ourselves absolute permission <laughs> to be in that place. And being willing to sit in our loss is not something that we want to do, but it's something that we need to do. And, and we need to do it in ways that we're still going to be able to function. So there's times and places to be able to do this. And I think after church this morning, when we gather together for those who are able, that's a great time just to be able to sit with our loss and, and, and to be willing to let that come and to grieve and to share stories and to be together. And we need that space, but we need to be able to sit with it. All of this, this part isn't fun. But I, the reason I spent a little bit of time on sharing how loss is crushing and loss is confusing is just to be able to encourage us that when we're in those places, that it is absolutely normal. And the Bible is written to be able to help us to see just that, that deep level gut pain of people who loved God and who are walking through life just as we're walking through life, but who have experienced pain and loss and grief. And it's normal. It's normal. But the good news is it doesn't stop there. I think we would all be really discouraged right now if that was all this message was about. If all this message was about it's normal to be sad. See, we need to have something 
bigger to look to. We need to have a chance to fix our eyes somewhere else, to put our hope somewhere else, somewhere bigger than we are, to put our hope in God. How do you do that? How do you practically, what does it look like to put your hope in God? From the psalm, I believe we see three things, three practical ways that we can put our hope in God. The first is to pray continually. To pray continually. In Psalm 42, verse 8, he says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. And then there's this phrase, a prayer to the God of my life. In other words, here is his prayer. His prayer is that by day, Lord, by day would you direct me with your love? Would you pour out your love upon me as I go through my, la- my day that your, your love would settle me, that your love would direct me? And at night, at night would you sing a song over me? While I sleep, would you sing a song over me? Zephaniah 3.17 says that the Lord sings over his people, over those who love him, over those he's called to himself. The request changes during the day. May your love be poured out and may your love direct me. At night, would you sing over me? But what doesn't change is day and night, there is this prayer. There is this prayer. This prayer keeps him focused on God. This prayer calls out to him. This prayer says, God, my hope is in you. I'm not looking to anything else for comfort in the midst of loss. As I grieve, I'm looking to you. My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Because God loves to answer our prayer. Do you know that? That God is for us. He's not against us. He's demonstrated that in Jesus. He sent Jesus while we were yet sinners separated from him. He didn't wait for us to come. He sent his son Jesus to come for us. He's for us. And he loves to hear those who call out to him. And so this prayer, praying continually, it's our opportunity to intercede and to say, God, this is what I need. I put my hope in you. I want you. And in the midst of the request, what we find is we find we get to know him. Ultimately, prayer is about relationship with God. It's putting our hope in him. We put our hope in God practically by praying continually, but also by seeking his light and truth. Chapter 43, verse 3 says, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. The psalmist is asking that God would send forth his light and his truth to guide him. Now, where do we receive this? Kind of like, where, where do you get God's light and where do you get God's truth? We get God's light and we get God's truth from God's word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
in John chapter 17, verse 17, when Jesus was praying for his disciples on the night that he was betrayed and the next day he would be crucified, he prays to the Father and he says, sanctify them or set them apart to yourself. Sanctify them by the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. The scriptures, the Bible, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is the truth. Your word is truth. Everything that God says is true. And so the scriptures help us to understand who God is. The scriptures help us to understand God's plan for the world. The scriptures help us understand how do we deal with grief. The scriptures help us understand why there is grief. The scriptures understand the promises that he makes, that he is near to the brokenhearted. The scriptures help us understand that when we are in mourning, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He gives us these promises. Where do we find these promises? We get them in scripture. And so the more we understand what God says, the more we have light and truth to be able to understand God and his ways. But it's not just to get information. Because he doesn't stop with, just send forth your light and truth and let them guide me. He says, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. In other words, the more we get to understand who God is, the more we understand his promises, the more we understand how we walk in relationship with me, with him, they lead us into this place of his presence. The psalmist says, take me back to the mountain. Let them lead me back to the place where the temple was, where you dwell, God. Take me back to your presence. Take me to be with you. May your truth, may your light lead me into your presence. The reason we read the Bible, the reason we seek to understand who he is and his promises is so that we might know him, that we might encounter him. Because it goes back to where he started. In Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Lord, as I seek your light and truth, my soul is longing for you. And friends, this is what we were made for. This is why we're here on this earth. We are here to be in relationship with our creator. All the things that we look for, all the things we reach for here in this life, none of it will fully fulfill us. Only one thing will. Only one person will. And that is God. The psalmist understood, especially if this is King David who had all the wealth, who had all the power, who had all the prestige. King David had everything. And yet the thing that he wants is not restore my kingdom to me. It's not get me back to my palace. It's not make life good again. It's I need to get back to the temple because that's where you are. And all of it, that's what he wants. That's what he needs. It's not more stuff. It's not more people. Ultimately, what he needs is God. That's his longing. 
That's his heart's cry. And in the midst of grief, there is no other answer that will satisfy the way he will. And so putting our hope in God through prayer, seeking his truth, his light and scripture, ultimately that we would come to his presence, all of those lead us to this last one. We put our hope in God through worship and praise. Verse four says, then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight. (laughs) There's lots of things we can find joy in. There's lots of things that we can find delight in. But David says, there's, I'm going to say this is David. There's one thing, one person who brings me joy and delight. And that's when I'm at the altar worshiping God. When I have been in prayer, when I have been reminding myself of who God is through the scriptures, when I've come into his presence and I'm there and my only response is, God, you are worthy, you are great, I give you everything. I worship you. I offer myself to you. I take joy and delight in you. Nothing else, God, compares to you. I make my everything about you. That's worship. He says, I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. He praises him for all the things that he has found God has done and that are true of him. We worship God for who he is. We praise him for what he's done. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of this intense loss that he's had, after pouring out his guts, (laughs) this is crushing, this is confusing. All I know is to go back to this. I gotta pray. I need time in the word so that I come to know him more. And I just gotta worship my God. I have to praise him for all the things that he has done. I worship him because he's worthy. And I praise him for all that he's done. You know, this may sound like, oh, that's religious mumbo-jumbo. Give me some three steps to healing. It's in the presence of God through worship and prayer and praise that he begins to do this work in us, that he begins to comfort us, that he begins to bring healing to us as we put our hope in him. When life is good, this should be our rhythm. And when life is not good and grief comes, this is still our rhythm. Friends, as we're dealing with loss, as we're feeling, dealing with, with grief, we sit with that fact that life is not going to be the same. On this side of eternity, life is just not going to be the same. But here's what we hold on to. This is, this is where this leads us. God will always be the same. He will always be the same. We will not ever be disappointed. We sang, he's faithful. We place our hope in him. All my life, God, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Nothing in life 
even when we have these ups and downs, even when we're on in the valley of the shadow of death, nothing changes the fact that he is still good and he is still present. And so no matter what, we can always come back to worship. And that is where, that is where we find comfort and healing. That is where hope is found. Let me just encourage you as we close these train tracks. There's this optical illusion with train tracks that when you stand right at the beginning, it looks like the farther down the track that the tracks get closer and closer together. Now, we know that that's not the case because that train's going to run and it's going to be, those tracks run parallel all the time. But here's the point in this picture. On one side... Let's call this being willing to sit with our loss. And on this side, let's call this putting our hope in God. They seem separate. And in all intents and purposes at the beginning, they are. They kind of are, there's a distance. Being willing to sit with our loss and all that that goes with it and putting our hope in God, they, they seem like polar opposites but they're running parallel to each other. And here's the hope. The farther we go down this, and we continue being willing to sit, and we continue to put our hope in God, the farther we go in the journey of grief, the closer those two will in fact come together. And it's not an optical illusion. Until they get swallowed up. And the day they get swallowed up is probably going to be the day that we leave this life where Jesus comes back, if you're a believer in Jesus. But they're going to get closer and closer together. And life will still not be the same, but the, the, the crushing and the confusing part, that will start to settle down. And our hope in God will increase. And it will begin to overtake it. As he comes and he ministers to you, he comforts you. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. And so grieving can be a good thing, even though it's not what we were ever intended to do. We'd be willing to sit with it Put your hope in God. I just want to pray over us for a moment and even just receive for a moment from God. You know, one of the things we do sometimes is, if you're comfortable with it, is to just kind of maybe hold your hands out. And, and all that is is just a posture for you to say, God, I, I know and I come, Leah reminded us a couple times this morning that we're weak, <laughs> We don't, we don't have anything to bring to come to fix anything in life. And so we just come kind of with open hands and say, God, this is what I have to offer you. Basically, nothing except myself. I just offer this to you. But it's also a posture of just being able to say, I have hands open. Like at Christmas time or a birthday, somebody gives you a gift, you just receive it. And so God, I receive from you. I just receive from you. And so that's the whole purpose of doing this. There isn't anything fancy or it's just a 
way to say, God, this is where we're at, and I receive from you. So I just want to pray over us, and then the worship team will come, and we'll sing a closing song expressing our, our hunger and our thirst for God. So let's pray. So, Father, we do come to you with open hands. And there's probably even one more thing. We just offer you our grief. We offer you our grief. Because it is crushing, it is confusing. We offer you our questions. We offer you our disappointments. We offer it all to you, Lord. And so, Father, with hands open, with hearts open, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? You are the comforter. You're the comforter, Holy Spirit. These words can give us direction. But if it doesn't lead us to you, they're just words. And so Holy Spirit, would you take these words and these understandings of how to find hope in you, God, and would you just come? You'll be the one who, when we leave this place today, you'll be the one to be with us on the journey and so would you come now? Would you come no matter what our loss is that we're dealing with? And would you minister? For you, O oh God, are the one who brings healing. You, O oh God, are the one who brings comfort. You, O oh God, are the one who brings hope in the midst of loss. You are near to the brokenhearted. You grieve with those who grieve. And so Holy Spirit, we just receive your comfort. We receive your hope. We receive your mercy and your grace. We receive your love. It's the daytime. So we receive your love. And tonight we receive the songs that you would sing over us. Whether we hear them or not, we may not ever be aware of them. But we receive the songs that you're singing over us. May dreams be sweet. May encounters with your love settle us. May we know that you are a God who holds those who call upon you. So we receive. We receive. We receive. Thank you for what you're doing even right now. We receive. We receive. You are good. And you are faithful. You always fulfill your promises. You always do 
what you say that you're going to do. And we stand in radical hope today that one day this pain and this sorrow and this order of things with death and tears and sickness and brokenness, this one day will be no more. You promise that it will be. And so we stand in that future hope as well. Father, we receive. We thank you for your love and your presence and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.